understand that your name is all powerful, Lord. That every, every principality and power, every demonic entity, every problem, every situation that we are facing right now in our life, Lord, has to bow the knee to the Savior of this world. Lord, I thank you that this morning, that Lord, as a fa- you're, you are looking down upon us as a father. Lord, your heart is reaching out toward your people today. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, as a parent, as a mum or a dad, look upon their kids with their hearts bursting with adoration, longing for them to succeed in life and to prosper and to be successful. Lord, I thank you that that is your heart toward us today. Lord, I thank you that, Lord God, when we look in this world with all the turmoil, all the unrest, all the stuff that's going on, I thank you that, Lord, for your people today, there is a haven, there is a shelter, there's a place of rest for the people of God. Lord, if only we would stop striving and trying to plot our own course in life and just trust you, there is a place of rest for us. Lord, I thank you this morning that the the gospel is good news to a dark and dying world. Lord, I thank you this morning that, Lord God, no matter where we find ourselves in life right now, that, Lord God, the gospel is good news. It's not just good for people who are living a good life. It's not just good for people to have everything all together. It's good for a broken, messed up people. Lord, who are desperate, knowing that if you don't come up for them, that, Lord, there's no hope. Lord, in our world where it seems as if often stuff is just stacked up against us, Lord, we know that beyond this world there's another realm where, Lord God, there's more that stand on our side, no matter how it may seem this morning. Lord, your Holy Spirit is working for us. The armies, the angels of God are working on our behalf. And Lord, I thank you, Lord God, what, no matter what problem we might be facing right now, no matter how impossible the situation might be, no matter how, how, how difficult that problem is, I thank you, Lord God, this morning, you are going to provide an answer. You're going to make a way to bless, to minister, and to restore your people. Lord, I pray this morning that, Lord, you may take the veil off our eyes and let us just catch a glimpse of eternity. Let's just catch a glimpse of of, of heaven this morning. Speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord God, as Paul prayed the prayer, I pray, Lord God, that you enlighten the eyes of our heart this morning, that we may know this wonderful hope that is ours in Christ, that we may know this power, this incomparable power for those that the world knows nothing of, but for those of the people of God. Lord God, this power that will cause us to succeed and be prosperous in life. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, you will reveal that to us this morning as I minister your word. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord God, be acceptable in your sight. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just want to Just a simple message this morning. You know, if there's one thing that you and I can know about the devil, and it's this. He wants to take everything that he can away from us. Isn't that correct? But if there's one thing about Jesus that you and I can know this morning, is that he wants to give back to us. He wants to restore what the enemy has taken off us. Amen? Do you believe that? Jesus said... The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and life in abundance. Amen? 
Do you know, working as a thief and a destroyer, the devil can often operate in two ways in our life. When a thief breaks into a home, often within moments, he's turned that place upside down. He's ransacked every room. He's broken furniture and valuables. He's, he's entered the most intimate places of that person's home, stealing the most valuable possessions that he can find. Then he's gone leaving the owners feeling shell-shocked, bewildered, and violated. And that's how the enemy can work in our lives, isn't it? One moment our life can be okay. One moment our life can be seemingly okay and fine. And then suddenly through a phone call, or through a meeting, or through a letter, our world can be turned upside down. Our world can be in turmoil. And that's how the enemy works. But you know, there's also another way that the devil can work to, to steal and destroy. And that it, with, with results that are just as devastating, just as damaging as the first. And, this, and it, it, it's this way. He will steal and destroy over a long period of time. I'm sure we've all heard the stories where people have been poisoned by their partners. Anybody heard the stories? Yeah. Ladies, don't get any ideas. Because <laughs> if you get caught, you go to prison and assurance won't pay up. But you know, you, we hear these stories, if you go on these t television programs, you see the stories, and you hear the stories where, where, where poison was administered, not in such a lethal dose that the person dies straight away, but small amounts were put in a person's food or drink over a long period of time. Small amounts have sapped that person's energy, sapped the person's life out of the body until the body eventually gave up and died. And you know, that's how the enemy will try and operate in our lives also. You know, he did it to Job. He attacked Job's life through the, the poison of unrelenting disappointment. He attacked his business, he attacked his family, he attacked his friends, and even his body with the purpose that Job would give up on life, that he would lose hope, that he would curse God and die. And I want to say this, whatever Satan's Whatever we say, Satan attacks, his purpose is always to steal from us, to take away our hope, so that we give up on life, so that we give up on our church, so that we give up on God, so we give up on our family, so we give up on our workplace. Whatever, what, the strategy and tactic of the, of the devil is always to steal from us so that we lose a hope and die. And you may be here this morning and you know the enemy may have come into your life just like a thief. He's ransacked a private place in your life. He's stolen something that's so intimate to you. And it's leave, left you feeling just broken. It's left you feeling a sense of bewilderment. You feel violated. And that's how the enemy works. But also the enemy may have come in just like Job. But he hasn't come in just in an instant. He's come in over a long period of time. He's come into your life. And he's, he's maybe, maybe over weeks, months or even years, he's attacked those places of, in your life. He's, he's stealing energy from you. He's sapping you of your strength. He's sapping you of your hope. He's sapping you of your, of, of your reason to live on this planet. Listen, the devil may have come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I believe this with all my heart. The Holy Spirit is here to give you life and life in abundance. Jesus is here as a restorer this morning. He wants to restore what the devil has stolen and messed up in our lives. Do you believe that? Yes. Right throughout the Gospels, we see the character and nature of Jesus as one of a restorer. When Jesus walked this planet, his father gave him authority to destroy all the works of the evil one. How did, he, how did Jesus do that? He did it by restoring the things that the devil has stolen and messed up. 
You know, if, if, um, you know, if, you, if you go on TV, you can see these programs where, you know, where, where if you've got something that's damaged, like an antique, they will, they will restore it, and, and often they'll charge you a large price to do it. Well, I want to say this morning that Jesus is in the restoration business. You know, and I want to say this, he's already paid the price for your, um, yours and my restoration. He has. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, the punishment that's brought us healing this morning and restoration was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. Listen, Jesus hasn't come this morning just to give you a nice little touch. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to place you to where you belong as a child of God. You know, when, when, when Jesus walked this planet, when, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he didn't just restore him back to life. He doesn't just, you know, bring him back to life. He actually restored his, him to full health. When Jesus delivered the demon-possessed man, he didn't just cast the devils out of him. He restored him to his right mind. Amen. When Jesus healed the deaf man, he didn't just open his ears. He actually loosed his tongue so that he could speak again. He restored him fully. And if you've been a victim of the enemy this morning, Jesus didn't want to give you just a little touch. He wants to restore you fully. He wants to give back to you what the enemy has stolen. Amen. And we're going to look at the story just briefly with the time I've got. And I'm not going to spend too long this morning. We're going to look at the story about a man whom Jesus restored to encourage every one of us to believe for full restoration in our lives. Amen. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 6 to verse 11. And reading from the New King James Version. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man who was there was, whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he rose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do, do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. As we look at this story, I just want to share very quickly three aspects, three points pertaining to this man's life, this situation, to encourage us to believe for the restoration of something in our life that's been stolen from us, something that's, that the devil or the enemy has broken and messed up. Firstly, I want to look at this man's condition. We're going to look at the opposition that he faced. And finally, we're going to look at this man's restoration. So let's look at this man's condition. So it says, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. In the three Gospels where this story is mentioned, each author uses the same way to describe the condition of this man's hand. They say it's, it was withered. The word withered describes a hand that was once perfectly formed. A hand that now had become twisted and distorted. It was a hand that was once strong and full of life, but now had become lifeless and useless. This hand that God had created to be a blessing had now become a burden and a hindrance, impacting and affecting every area of this man's life. This handicap affected his work. Luke, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, with the precision of a doctor, he tells us that this hand was withered, the hand that was withered was his right hand. 
This hand would have been essential for work. A fragment of an ancient manuscript tells us that this man was a stonemason whose hand was injured in an accident. Now, there's no way we've got of authenticating whether that's true or not. But one thing's for sure, in a day and an age, in a culture where both hands were used to do most work, this man who would have likely had a job was now begging for a living. This hand would have affected his relationships, like many people of, of, of his day. This man would have been a social outcast. He would have been condemned by his peers to a life of isolation and loneliness. People believe in that his condition was a result of some kind of hidden sin, some kind of evil in his life. This handicap affected his whole body. This man's physique would have been in full work in order, except for this one part of his life that had become stunted and distorted. His hand, which was withered and stunted, had become out of proportion to the rest of his body. There was no harmony, there was no beauty of flowing through this man's life because of this one withered area of, uh, of his body. And folks, you know, this goes beyond just the, the, the physical here. It might be in your life right now that, you know, that there's, there's a part of your life this morning, maybe 90% of your life is fine, 95% of it is fine, but there's a part, there's an aspect of your life that you know has become stunted you know that it's not functioning as it should. And maybe that that part of your life is affecting every other part. It's caused your life to become unbalanced. It has no beauty or harmony because of this one area of your life that's been stunted, that's deformed. You know, have you ever bashed your finger with a hammer? Anybody done it? Do you know, I've done it loads of times. I can remember, I, was recalled, I can remember when I was a kid, I was about seven years of age, and me and my mate were building a go-kart. And uh, I always remember that I was holding the nail while my, mate just, <laughs> while my mate had the hammer to bang the nail in. God, talking about trusting. Well, I tell you this, he, he let me down. That's all I can say. The hammer ricocheted off the nail and landed square on my thumb. Goodness me, talking about pain. I can remember, do you know, I didn't sleep that night. I was, I was in agony. My thumb was throbbing and throbbing. I couldn't get to sleep. And you know, if you've ever bashed your thumb, you know, this one little area of your life, this one little area in your body is eclipsing all the wonderful things that's going on in your body, isn't it? This one little area that's screaming out for relief that's screaming out for peace, is eclipsing all the other stuff that's going on in your body. And it might be like that right now in your life. This one area that's become stunted, this one area that's been damaged, this one area is eclipsing all the wonderful things that God wants to do in your life right now. Maybe in the area of your emotions where maybe fear or anger or jealousy is consuming you to such a point that it's consuming all the other things that God is doing. You're just consumed by that emotion that you can't function properly. Maybe in the area of your mind and your personality, where maybe through, through sin or, th or through abuse, you know that your, your, your personality can't grow. It's, it's, it's stunted. It's been thwarted because of this abuse, because of this sin in your life. To the extent where you just don't see anything good coming out of your life. You don't see any beauty. You don't see any value to your life. Maybe in the area of your employment where work has consumed you to such an extent that it's taken over your life. It's impacting on your health. It's impacting on your family. It's impacting on your relationship with God. You know, whatever it is this morning that God has designed to be a blessing, but now has become a burden, has become a hindrance to you, I believe that God wants to restore. He wants to bring order and balance back in your life. Amen? So 
We've looked at this man's condition. Let's look at this man's opposition. Now it says in Luke 6, verse 6, Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. You know, God is attracted to weakness, isn't he? God longs. You know, when we fall on our face earnestly, honestly, desperately, longing to know him, desperately longing for an answer and, and, and just seeking his face for our life. You know, God loves that. He's attracted to weakness. You know, but I'll tell you this, people are also attracted to weakness as well, but often not for the same reason that God is. You know, when we look at this story, there were many religious people in this man's day that gravitated towards weakness, but it wasn't out of a heart of love or compassion, but the opposite. These people loved to expose the weakness and, and the faults and the flaws in others to validate their own importance so that they could show, be superior and show their, 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 how, how wonderful they were. And then Jesus comes and he just blows the theology out of the water, doesn't he? You know, in that day, these men entered the synagogue. You know, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, they had no thoughts of compassion for this man. No, all they were thinking about, they, in fact, they prayed on his vulnerability and all they wanted was to use him to catch a bigger fish. They were using him as bait to catch Jesus. And listen, you know, you may be here this morning and the devil's messed up your life. There are areas in your life that need to be restored. Maybe you've allowed the thief to come into your home and steal things from you. You know, just like, like Adam and Eve in the garden, they handed over the authority to, 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 to the enemy. He didn't steal it, they handed it over. And maybe an area of your life where you're just giving an enemy the room to work in your life. And he's stolen from you, and he's used you and he abused you. But not only that, he's had the audacity to tell you that it's all your own fault. That you can't expect anything from God. You know, nobody's going to help you. It's all your fault. Listen, we need to ram those words down the devil's throat this morning. Because listen, no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter what is going on in your life right now, listen, it may be your fault you're in the mess you're in, but don't you think that his mercy is big enough to reach beneath your pain and your hurt and your mistakes and all the rubbish? And to lift you out of your mess and to place you where you belong as a child of God. He longs to do it. The religious of Jesus' day were a stickler in keeping the laws. They loved it. They loved to keep the little rules and all the little nuances of the law. That's what they loved to do. They loved it. These people could tell, tell you what you were doing wrong, but they had no idea how to make a person right with God. They had no idea. And then Jesus comes, and he just turns their, the, the whole thinking and logic upside down. You know, I just love Jesus. He just, he just does things so unexpectedly, doesn't he? You know, when we think we can contain God and put him in a box, guess what God does? He'll just tip that thing right over. <laughs> And do some, something completely unexpected. You know, the, listen, you know, the gospel, the good news of the gospel isn't about being right or wrong. Do you know, we were on a plane coming back from Israel and there was a wonderful Jew. You know, he was a, he was a fervent Jew. He could, goodness me, talking about, talking about the Torah and the Mishnah and all, all that stuff. He could tie you up in knots. He could tell you what was right and wrong, but you know, there was no life. You know, this man, lovely man, earnest man, but didn't know the, he didn't know the love of God, really. He didn't know Jesus. He, he, had no, he had no encounter with a risen saviour. And you see, the good news of the gospel is not essentially about being right or wrong. It's about life and death. Yeah. If, you're, if you've fallen into the sea and you're drowning, you don't need a lecture on being right or wrong, do you? You need somebody to throw you a lifeline. You need somebody to grab you by the scruff of the neck and yank you out of the water. 
You know, and, and, and very often, I think, you know, sometimes we, we can, we can, we've got all this, we, we've got all our theology together, but sometimes we can be wrong. You know, Jesus is here this morning like he was in the synagogue, and he throws out a lifeline to us. But I tell you this, Jesus doesn't want to leave us just on the shore, just dripping wet. He wants to dry us off. He wants to dress us. And he wants to place us where we belong as a child of God this morning. Now, it's easy to say where we belong, but where, where, where is it that the enemy has displaced you? What, what part of your life has the enemy come in and destroyed the order of things? It might be in your home. It might be in your workplace. It might be in the church. God wants to place you where you belong as a child of God. This man's hand was injured, possibly by an accident. Then there's a good chance that it was through his own competence and carelessness that caused the, the accident. But Jesus didn't lecture him. He didn't, he didn't read in the riot act. He didn't remind him of, of his past. He just healed him. He just restored him. What a great savior we serve. I thank God that Jesus didn't remind me of my past. I'm, I'm thankful this morning. He hasn't even reminded me of yesterday. You know, listen, I, you know, often we beat ourselves up, but you know, the Savior is so wonderful. Jesus didn't bring up our past. He doesn't, he doesn't rub our nose in our past. And he wants to help us and he wants to heal us and he wants to restore us this morning. You know, there was a Chinese man and a Jewish man who were eating lunch together. And certainly without warning, the Jewish man gets up, walks over to the Chinese man, and he hits him in the face, sending him sprawling. So the Chinese man picks himself up and asks, what in the world did he do that for? And the answer comes back, for Pearl Harbor. The Chinese man responds in total astonishment, Pearl Harbor, I had nothing to do with Pearl Harbor. It was the Japanese that bombed Pearl Harbor. The Jewish man responds, Chinese, Japanese, Taiwanese, they're all the same to me. With that, the man sat down again and both and before long the Chinese man gets up walks over to the Jewish man and sends him flying with a hard slap across the face the Jewish man yells out what on earth did you do that for and the answer comes back the Titanic the Titanic why didn't have anything to do with the Titanic the Jewish man says whereupon the Chinese man replies Goldberg Spielberg iceberg they're all the same to me folks you know, I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't remind us of our past. Aren't you? Listen, I'm so glad. You know, and listen, when we categorize and when we marginalize people and we look down our noses at other people and we think we are right, guess what? We are in the wrong. And listen, if the enemy has been reminding you of your past this morning, if people have been telling you, you're no good, you're useless, you're rubbish, you're never going to make it in life. Listen, we need to remind the devil of his future. Listen, you know, people may have come up to us and told us this, this, that, and the other, but we know that the battle is not, not against flesh and blood, is it? It's against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world that would influence and, and work in the hearts and minds of people. And when the enemy reminds us of our past, we remind him of our future. Amen. The Bible says in Colossians that when you and I were dead in our sin, we were cut off from God. God made us alive with Christ. Nothing to do with us. Nothing at all to do with us. And he forgave us of our sin, having cancelled the law that was against us and stood opposed to us. And it says this, that he made a public spectacle of the devil, triumphing over him by the cross. The devil is defeated this morning. The devil is defeated. The battle is Jesus' this morning, but the victory is ours in his name. Amen.
In verse 7 it says, So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he could heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. This synagogue where these finger-pointing Pharisees, scribes, and teachers of the law were, where they gathered against this man, had become more crippled than this withered man's hand, more distorted, more corrupt than this man's hand. A place that was supposed to be a blessing, where people were supposed to be blessed, where God was supposed to be honoured and blessed, had become a burden. You know, there are places, there are churches in this land today that are, instead of encouraging people to know the Saviour, actually become a burden. It's sad to say, but there are. They peddle their trade in dead religion and works. It's, you know, let me say this. Religion is great if you love religion. But it can, it, can, it, can, it can construct nice on eight buildings, but it can't put together a broken, messed up life. It, it can entice you with all this stained glass and all the ornate nests and all the candelabras and all that stuff. But I tell you, it's got no power to beautify your life. It can give you the rituals, it can tell you what to do, but it can't tell you who you are. But I thank God this morning, we have a saviour in Jesus. Not, not only tells us how to live our life, but he gives us the power and the means and the anointed to do it. Amen? Aren't you glad? The scribes and the Pharisees had no power. They were spiritually dead because they'd cut themselves off from God. They'd cut themselves off from the life source. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look fantastic on the outside. You're beautiful on the outside. You're all clean and white on the inside, but on the, out sorry, on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're full of corruption. You're full of death. That's what, that's what, that was the indictment that was upon them. Listen, you know, history shows us that when a people, God forbid that we'll ever, you know, as a, corporately and certainly personally, that we, that we don't hinder God's work in, in our life and the life of other people. And history shows us when a people, when a movement, when they oppose God, when they cut themselves off from God, the life of God departs. We've only got to look up and down this land today where we see buildings, we see structures and edifices that are like, almost like, they're like fossils of a bygone era where the fire and the passion of God once dwelt in the hearts of men and women who loved him, who were on fire for him, but they let the fire go out. And with it, God's life departed. You know, God forbid that, that, that we allow that to happen to our life. And I'm with Pastor Dave and Pastor Faye at the helm here. That ain't going to happen, amen? It certainly ain't going to happen. You know, the one thing I love about Pastor Dave and Faye is that they listen to the Holy Spirit. They listen to God. You know, in this account in Mark, it says that Jesus looked around at the scribes and Pharisees. Sorry, in the account of Mark, Jesus looked around at the scribes and Pharisees with anger. And it says he was grieved because of their hardness of heart. If God was to give us, I was just sort of contemplating this, this point just this week. If we were to have a spiritual checkup this morning, would God be grieved at our heart, at the condition of our heart? You know, if we were to check our spiritual pulse this morning, how good would it be? You know, let me just, let me just answer, ask a few questions that so we can maybe, it gives us a little bit of a gauge on where we are. You know, how often do we turn a deaf ear when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin? How often do we just... You know, we read a description, we just skip over it quickly. How often do we do that? When God convicts us, how often do we think, well, it's okay for some sort of do it, so it's all right for me to do it. And there are certain things in the world which are black and white, aren't they, when it comes to living life. But you know, the way that the Holy Ghost will work in my life, the way he's leading me is different to the way he's leading you. 
So there might be something that you're able to do in your life that I'm not able to do, and vice versa. But we cannot just, just watch people around us and just live life how we choose. We have, to, we have to be led by the guiding of the Holy Spirit. He's a compass in our life, amen? And we have to be led by his, his, his guiding. How often, here's another one, how often have we been called to pray for someone? How often have we been called to, to minister to someone and we just dismiss it? We think, well, no, you know, we're too busy. We've got too much on. No, God understands. I love what Pastor Dave shared uh, recently when he talked about the guy and, uh, the, when he was up in the mountain and God spoke to him clearly and said, I want you to share the gospel with this man. And, you know, there was, there was, whilst he was talking to him, time went and he didn't, he didn't really take that opportunity you know, but praise God. God is gracious, isn't he? He's, he's wonderful. And he'd give us another opportunity to minister if our heart is right. But how often do we dismiss, dismiss God? No wonder sometimes we think God has gone silent on us. No wonder if we're not obeying him. I can remember Pastor Dave telling me a story of a prophet. Went to a church. He was there. He was, he was called to preach in the church. And just before he got up, the Holy Ghost spoke to him and he said, you haven't done. So he addressed the congregation and he said, you haven't done what I told you to do the last time I spoke to you. And he got down from the pulpit and left the church. And that was the end of the meeting. Listen, we've got to, we've got to continually ask God to keep our hearts right. Amen. How do we keep our heart right? How do we keep a healthy heart this morning? How do we keep our relationship right with God and with others? Well, I'm going to give you just 10 simple points. No, I'm not. I'm going to keep it really... I'm going to keep it... It's, it's simple, really. What work, it's really, really simple. What works in the natural works in the spiritual. How do we keep our heart healthy? We eat healthily, or should do, and we exercise. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to feed off the word of God instead of all the junk that we can pick up on the TV and the news and the social media. Feed off the word of God and start exercising what God is telling us to do in our life. And we will have a healthy heart. It's as simple as that. But you know, the, the, these Pharisees, they had no power because they cut themselves off from God. But if we keep our heart right, you know, then, then I believe that we will follow the lead, the guide of the Holy Ghost, and he will lead us into truth. He will lead us into, into life. He will lead us into, into, into the, the, the places that he wants us to go with the power that he has for us. But this, the life of God flowed in this man, bringing healing and restoration, because this man allowed Jesus to do what he'd been called to do. And this really leads me to my third point, really, and it's, I'm just going to sort of close very shortly. So this man, we've looked at this man's condition, we've looked at the, the opposition that was against him, and finally we're going to look at this man's restoration. It says, reading from verse 8, And Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he rose and stood. And then verse 9, Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and the hand was restored as whole as the other. When Jesus entered the synagogue, he found this man sitting down. Now, this may have been the normal practice for people who attended a synagogue. They would sit down. But I believe that this parking his bum on a seat for this man represented more than just, than, 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 than just you know, sitting down and, and listening to a, a sermon. This represented a posture. This represented a, a position of res a resignation and defeat, I believe. This man didn't go to the synagogue to be healed. This man had no intention of being healed. In fact, Jewish law prohibited being, him being healed on a Sabbath. This man attended with no hope of being healed. I wonder how many times this man had turned up at the, at the synagogue 
and heard the scriptures recalled. I wonder how many times as the miracles of God were recalled and this man longed for his hand to be healed. But at some point, this man, I believe, had lost hope. You know, have you come here today to expect anything from God? Do you come here with any expectation? Do you come with any sense of excitement that God is going to impart, that God is going to heal, that God is going to restore? Listen, this man had no... This man had no, I believe, inclination at all that God was going to do something that day. But this day, this man met the Word of God face to face. This man met Jesus. And he received the greatest revelation of his life that Jesus was not just the Savior of the world. He was also a restorer of broken things. Jesus came and he restored this man to full health. And you could be here this morning and you may have been attending church for years. You may know all the scriptures on faith. You may have been anointed with oil. You may have had hands laid on you. But when it comes to this area of your life that, that you are seeking God for, that you've, you know, you've, you've, you've just lost hope. There's an area of your life maybe where you've just, you've just been crying out to God maybe for weeks and months or even years to the point where you've lost hope. Well, Jesus wants to restore your hope this morning. Jesus wants to give you hope. He wants to touch you. He wants to reach you in that broken place, in that messed up place in your life. But before Jesus could restore this man's withered hand, there was something first he had to do. He had to restore his stance. You see, faith is a posture. He has a stance. Faith isn't passive. Faith is active. And Jesus got this man to stand. Amen? And listen, it's about time some of us stood up. You know, it's some of us, we need to stand up and start to confess and start to declare who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. And that's not necessarily with the words that we speak, but the way we live our life. We need to stand. The Holy Ghost needs to rise up inside of us. He's longing to do it. We just got to get out of the way and let him do it. The Holy Ghost is here with us and he wants, to, he wants to help us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. Jesus wants to restore us. I believe that. But Jesus didn't just command this man to stand. He called this man, now this is, this, this, this is where maybe you're at this morning. He called this man to a place of openness. The Bible says that Jesus called this man and said, arise and stand here. In other words, arise and stand right by me, right in the midst here. So Jesus was stood. The whole synagogue was there. The scribes, the Pharisees, the sightseers, the, the know-it-alls, they were all there watching this man as he stood, looking at his weakness, looking at his deformity. But, you know, this man, could, he, could have, he could have succumbed to his feelings and emotions and stayed sat, sitting, but he did, and he got up. He stood up. You know, this man wasn't frightened to reveal the broken, withered, messed up place in his life. We shouldn't be either, to be honest. We shouldn't be either. You know, when you think about Jesus, he wasn't frightened to reveal his wounds to us, was he? You know, Jesus was willing and, and when, he, when, he, when he was crucified, he came back and he, he showed his disciples his wounds, didn't he? In his hands and his side, he said, look, look at my wounds. And then he said to Thomas, because of his doubt, he said, look, Thomas, put your, you know, put your fingers in my hand, put your hand in my side, see, see these wounds, they're real. Jesus, the Savior, the most perfect man that walked this planet, was not frightened to reveal his wounds to us. We should not be frightened to reveal our wounds to him. You know, I believe this, you know, there's too many people that, that hide and, and struggle in the shadows of guilt and condemnation when Jesus is present as a restorer and a healer. We, ju we just, 
But listen, you know, it might be the, this morning that Jesus just wants you to acknowledge. Are you willing to, to be restored enough this morning to acknowledge your weakness to somebody in your life? It might be a friend. It may be you've got to do it publicly. I don't know. Maybe you've got to go back to somebody or you've got to say something to somebody, but you know it's going to be something that's going to activate your faith. What is it in your life? Listen, this man was prepared to show his weakness to a whole crowd of people who were not friendly, to say the least. Are we willing to do that? When Jesus brought this man to a place of openness, you know what he did? He brought him to a place of grace. He brought him to a place of grace. You know, the know-it-alls were there. Oh, they were all there waiting with bated breath to see what Jesus was going to do. And you may be here this morning, you're going to have to expose some weakness of your life to somebody who can pray for you. The Bible says in James, therefore confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Are we, are we willing to be restored enough to expose the weak area of our life? This man was. And listen, although he was there vulnerable in terms of the, the crowd that was there, he was close to Jesus. And I want to say this morning, you and Jesus are more than a match for anyone, amen? You really are. I'm just going uh, to, I just want to pray right now. That's, that's pretty much my message. But I just want to pray. You may be here this morning and, you know, there is a place in your life. I, uh, you know, I can, I can think of people that I speak to here. I look at my life. I don't know about you, but there are areas of my life. You know, a scripture that I'm holding on to is that, that God is going to restore the years of the locusts of Eden. There's areas in my life where, there's been years gone by where my life has not produced the fruit that it should have produced. You know, I was reading Spurgeon, and he talks about the, the years that the locusts have eaten, and he was saying, you know, the locusts didn't eat the years, he just ate the fruit of the years. That's what they ate, they ate the fruit of the years. And I'm praying, I don't know about you, but I'm praying that my latter days are going to be better than my former days. And my life is going to produce more fruit this day and in the days ahead than ever before, amen? That we're going to reap a harvest 30, 60, 100 times what we sow in this life. But I'm believing that for myself. But what is it in your life that you're believing that God is going to restore? Is it in your family? Is it in a business? Is it in a ministry? What is it that you're longing God to, to come into that broken place where the enemy has maybe stolen from you, where the enemy is, has messed up to bring healing and restoration? You know, the, the, we, we've all got places, haven't we? We've all got areas in our life where we're longing for God to work, where we're just waiting on him for an answer. But this morning, you know, I just, as this man, he did something quite simple. And I, I just want to, this isn't to embarrass anyone or show anyone up. But if there's an area in your life this morning that you just long, you just, you've been crying, I know what it's like. I've been crying out to God like you, crying out to God for an answer day after day, week after week, month after month. It seems like it's year after year and you're not seeing that answer. Listen, God doesn't delay. You know, listen, if we're faithful and patient, we will inherit the promises of God. If we will endure, if we'll keep going, if we'll, having done all things to stand, stand, we will endure the promises of God, amen? God will come through for us. We just, we, yes, we have to be in it for the whole, long haul often, but he will come through if we allow him to come through. But what is it in your life this morning? You're longing God to restore. You're longing for God to put you back in your rightful place. Now, 
in this place right now with, with, with every head bowed, if, if, if you're in this place and there's something in your life that the devil has stolen from you, there's something in your life that the devil has messed up, I'd like you to stand right now. And I believe it's going to be a point where God is going to activate something in your life. Something's going to change. Maybe you want to stand for somebody else. There's something in your life that you know that the devil has taken from you and you want it back in Jesus' name. The Bible says when the thief comes in to steal, Jesus is going to come. And it says that if he's stolen from us, we're going to expect the sevenfold return. So I'm not just expecting what the devil's taken from me. I'm expecting more back. I don't know about you. So I just pray right now, Lord, for these people that have stood, believe in Lord God, for restoration in their life, for the life of their family, the life of their friends. Lord, I pray right now, as this man stood up, he made a public declaration in that place amidst the hostility, all the stuff that was going on. And Lord, he stood in faith, trusting you, believing that you were going to restore, that you were going to work on his hand. And Lord, I thank you that Lord God, as he trusted you, Lord, as he trusted you, Lord, he took his eyes off the crowd and he trusted you, Lord. Life came into that, that stunted, withered hand and Lord, his fingers began to grow and, and, and become straight and his hand became fully functional as it had done before. Lord, I just pray right now that Lord, in Jesus' name, these people that are standing right now, I ask in your name that Lord God, you, you, Lord, you meet them right now as their restorer and Lord, you speak and you touch those broken places in their life. Lord, I thank you that Lord Jesus, when you got this man to stand, you said, stretch forth your hand. And Lord, these, these people, Lord, he couldn't do it. Lord, he couldn't stretch his hand. He could stretch his arm, but he couldn't stretch his hand. And Lord, I pray as these people, Lord, do what only you can do. Lord, you, whatever, whatever you're telling them to do, Lord, whatever you're instructing them to do, I pray, Lord God, as they do, Lord God, what you're telling them to do, I pray, Lord God, that healing and restoration will take place in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Just before closing, yeah, yeah, you can maybe see it. You know, the greatest restoration project was completed on the cross, wasn't it? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he restored man's relationship with God. You know, I, I tell you, I can remember, I've said this recently, when I was in the pub and somebody told me about the restoration work of Jesus, how he died on the cross for my sin. Man, talking about an encounter, talking about a peace, talking about a sense of my life had changed. And you may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your saviour. Or maybe you've gone away from God and you've got no sense of God being with you. You've got no sense of his love or, or, or sense of purpose in your life. I, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to ask that... that you know, you can ask Jesus into your life right now. And I want to pray that God will meet you right now as, as your saviour and as your healer, as your restorer. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people here today, Lord. And I pray this morning that, Lord, that, Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, in the quietness of their heart, they'll pray this prayer. And, Lord, they will receive you as their saviour. They'll receive you as their Lord. And, Lord, I pray that you will work on their life and change, change the atmosphere around them, change the situation they're in right now. Lord, show them that you come to give them life and life in abundance. So, Lord, right now, Lord, I'm going to pray a prayer. Lord, if, you're, if you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus as your saviour, just pray this in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what I've heard this morning. I thank you that, Lord, Lord, that uh, you are a restorer of broken things, that you are my healer. And Lord, right now, Lord, I thank you that when you died on the cross, you made a way for me to come to know you. Lord, I thank you for forgiving me of my sin. 
and all the stuff that I've done wrong. Lord, right now I ask you to come into my life. Come in and take hold of my life. Take charge of my life, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord God, this morning that you would meet me right now at my point of need. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye shut, if there's, if, there's, if there's anyone in this place this morning that prayed that prayer, I, you know, it would be great for, for me or, or a member of the welcome team to pray for you. Is there anybody in this place? Don't go before you know, letting us know that you've, you've prayed that prayer commitment. Is there anybody in this place this morning that prayed that prayer? Is there anyone at all? Okay. Amen. Well, folks, that, that's, that's my message. Just, just um, yeah, you know, just trust God. If you, if you stood up this morning, believe. Now, believe that God is working in your life. Believe that you received your answer. Start to operate in faith. Keep your heart right before God and just watch what he's going to do. Amen? Amen. Amen.